So good morning. So today, like Kate mentioned, we're going to be talking about community impact. And I think one of the uh, important things to, to even just understand before we get into that is that community impact looks so different for everybody. Um, what Kate appreciated about New City um, and that welcoming feel is different to what I feel or whatever somebody else feels. It, it's, it's different for everybody. And I think that's the, the great nature of being a church um, in a community, in a city, everybody has different needs and desires. Um, and I think that's kind of, there's no set way uh, of, do, of impacting a community. And I think that's what's special. So um, we've been in this series of who we are now for six weeks. Um, it, it's flown by um, for me as well uh, in preparing all of this. It, it, I think it feels like a little bit longer um, than what it, it has been, but um, I, I've really appreciated looking at some of these aspects, and we've been thinking about what it means to be a uh, what it means to value um, and what it means to value in our lives in being a believer of Jesus Christ at New City with connection, with growth, with service. Um, and we've been focused on the things that we value. We've looked at intimacy with God and how we value um, relationships. We've looked at uh, what a transformative life um, looks like and the fact that we are all made uniquely by God uniquely designed, and we've talked last week about sacrificial living and service um, and what that means, um, and what jumping onto kind of what Kate was just talking about this week, we're looking at community impact um, and how that looks and what that looks like and, and all the things that revolve around that. So we are called in our relationship worlds to be the evidence of Jesus Christ. And that's really what community impact is. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I, I want to admit from the very beginning that um, you're going to be challenged this morning. I was extremely challenged in writing this um, because all the other topics that we've looked at, it's easy just to sit and think and ponder, but community impact is something that asks of us. Um, and it really kind of hits hard at, uh, at who we are and what we do with our resources and what we do with our time. Um, so this is definitely a challenging one for myself as well as hopefully for you. Um, so let me open uh, by praying. Lord God, I want to thank you for bringing us here this morning, whether we're in person or watching online. Uh, I thank you for your grace and your love uh, and the gift of Jesus that you've given to us. Um, I pray that you will speak through me this morning and you'll open our, our ears and our minds and our hearts to your word. Amen. So it's important for us to focus on the unique things uh, that mark us out as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, and last week we discussed how each of us is shaped and formed by external circumstances. Um, and then the previous week we talked about our internal natures that are so intricately designed. Um, and it just goes to show that community impact, again, will look very different in each of us, both giving and receiving. Um, but we are all called to mission in God's name. 
Not every single one of us is called to just drop everything, go out, find the first random person you meet and start talking to them. We're not all called to do that. And we're not all gifted to do that. If I was to do that, I'm sure I would probably suck at it because I'm not very good at just having conversations with random people. Um, I need to have kind of a, a relationship there first to truly have um, an okay conversation. Um, I'm not one that, that's very good at that small talk. Um, but again, there are other people in our community that, that would thrive in that type of setting. Um, so not all of us are called to be that type of community impact, but we all are called to mission in God's name and however that might look. So my absolute favorite part um, over the last few weeks has been hearing from the individual members of our community. Um, and I've cherished hearing the different stories about how you found New City and what this community means to you. And I hope that everybody listening here today or online has appreciated that too. Uh, because we all are a people with history in this place. Uh, we've been talking about who we are, especially as we find ourselves in a transitional state as a church. Um, but our community, our city, our country, our world also finds itself in a transitional state too. Um, and in transition, it's not the question of what you, me, we will do. Transition is the question of who you, me, we will become. So it's not what are we going to do? It's what are we aiming to get to? What are we going to become? So who are we? So we are a people, we are a church that was founded in Easter 2010. Um, it had been going for a couple of months prior to that, uh, meeting locally, wherever the space would allow, firstly in living rooms or coffee shops or in the park. Um, and then we moved to the St. Louis Park Rec Center, if you want to throw up the first picture there, Claire. Um, and again, this has been mentioned by a few people um, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, the St. Louis Park Rec Center, which to the right of the screen was the windows that looked down onto the hockey um, ice. So you always hope that it was a low scoring game so it didn't disrupt service too much. Um, and then we moved, we were there for a couple of years, and then we moved to the Edina Middle School. So the second picture. Um, and all the while, there was a trailer that was packed and unpacked and all those chairs were stacked on the inside of the auditorium and every week, whether it was sunshine or 95 degrees or rain and snow, this was packed and unpacked every single week and again, that was who we are. Um, and then we moved into our current location and we stumbled into a God-led opportunity um, and this was one of the first weeks there when we were doing a walkthrough of the, the facilities. Um, and we've been here ever since. And if you want to look at uh, pictures four and five as well, um, we've updated this place a lot. Um, we've had a couple of different painting parties and murals downstairs in the kids' rooms painted. Um, we've ripped out carpet and ripped out pews. We've ripped out the built-in shelving in the offices, which were a little bit more difficult than we originally first thought. Um, we've built a new stage here. Um, again, if you haven't been in the facility since um, the, the pandemic started there, you'll come back and it'll be, feel a different place. 
Um, work days outside to install a new patio, the community vegetable garden, trees and shrubs, raking the volleyball court and baseball fields for them to never be used was some of my fun times, and my hands will attest to that. Um, I think we stopped doing that a couple of years ago because we realized that that's not who we are. Um, and as I was thinking about all of these, the thought kept coming back to me is that Wherever we are, that's not who we are. The people in this church are who we are. We've been in so many different locations throughout, but our sense of who we are has blended and moved along with that. It doesn't matter if we've met on a Sunday morning, whether it's been a progressive dinner, whether it's been a Wednesday women's group, a winter church retreat, a midweek small group, a men's bonfire, a youth get-together with Nerf Wars or a sleepover. It doesn't matter whether you've been in this church since its inception, when we were back in the living rooms, joined recently, or if you've left and come back again. It doesn't matter. All of this marks us out as a people with history in New City. And this is who we are, and this is who we need to celebrate and acknowledge. We are a people with diversity. That diversity brings us together, and again, it marks us out. And I think I can safely say that if it wasn't for this community, given the chance or given the choice, a lot of us would never have met, would have never been brought together, and would never be in a relationship or a friendship. It just wouldn't happen. Our lives would not have passed each other that way. And yet, God has thrown us together and brought us together for other purposes. We are a people of passion, of care, of commitment, of value. Our community are a people of generosity and mission. And this is something that I, I, I want to bring to our attention over the next couple of weeks as well, is we have a great structure of mission within our church. It might not be fully known to everybody, but we support a lot of mission both in the Twin Cities as well as in kind of the Northwest region and abroad in the world. We do a lot of that type of support. We are a people who reach out into the world and especially when this city and when this, um, when this country is struggling, um, we have some people in the community that do great work and help support people. We are a people of caliber and of integrity. We are people who are motivated to standing firm and standing strong. And all of these things come from the fact, the simple fact, that we are a people of faith. And like I mentioned last week, all that we are is because of all that He is. So all that we are is because all that He is. All of what I've just said now is only be possible because of that. It's all because of Jesus, and that's who we are. Without Jesus, all of us would be off doing something different on a Sunday morning. We would be either relaxing at home with family. Uh, we might go... Again, probably not today, but going out to a lake or enjoying the natural environment that we have. Hopefully it gets sunnier later this afternoon. We would either go for a drive and have a picnic somewhere. But again, we wouldn't be communing together um, on a Sunday morning. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but we would be somewhere else. And God has interrupted that life. He has called us to make a difference 
as we do that, and we need to acknowledge that. And it's because that is who we are, and that drives us to evidence and self in the way that we live, and that which we collectively do. And this is all well and easy to say, um, but there can be a problem with this, and for some it can be a big problem. All through what I've just said, if we're not careful, we can easily forget the unconditional foundation upon which we stand. Because all we see is what we do. And all we desire is what we can get out of it. And we can miss that which God has truly called us to be. Sometimes being around churches for too long can make us comfortable. Comfortable in ourselves, comfortable in our faith, comfortable in our relationships, comfortable in the way we do things. What is the church doing for me? What is in it for me? And God has not called us to be comfortable. Uh, and this, this comfortability a lot of times can catch us looking inwards. Always looking inwards. What programs, what offerings, what are there for me and my family? What is in it for me? That whole consumeristic idea. What is in it for me? What can I take? What can I take? And there is value in that because, again, we need to support our own families and we need to minister to one another. But if that's all that we do and if that's all that we're interested in, then we're in danger. And we're going to face a difficult future. 1 John 3 verse 1 See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is who we are, the children of God. God's love has been lavished on it. I love that word um, in the Bible. And if you don't know what the idea of lavish is, then you need to go to New York and you need to order a bagel with cream cheese in New York versus going to like a burgers here if you go to new york they will lavish cream cheese on a bagel you'll almost have an entire tub and it's flowing and it's gooing off the side that is lavish so when god says the father has lavished this love on us it's not just swiping on one little thing of cream cheese it, no it's over an abundance of love that we should be called the children of god verse 11 of that for this is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Then down to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. All that we are is because of all that he is. All that we give is because of all that he gave. And who we are actually determines our ability to serve and thrive into the future. If we don't give ourselves fully to the overarching purpose as disciples of Jesus, the sacrificial love from last week, then why are we even here? What are we even doing? And this is something that the church leadership team and the pastoral search committee me as a member, us as a congregation, all of us as followers of Christ, we need to pay attention to. 
I think there's something in this community impact idea that we need to heed because too many churches live with the idea of the community knows where we are. They know where we are. They will come eventually. Do people actually know where the local community is? People drive past us. Again, we can get lost so many times within this community. I'm sure you know what the New Testament program for the church is. Um, You might be a little bit confused as to kind of what it is right now before I mention it, but it's what we refer to as the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I'm going to put um, a couple of us on the spot here this morning. Um, I want to see if we can recite it. Because again, I'm sure some of us have heard it before. It starts with, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, anybody want to have a, a try at it? Anyone? No? A couple of shy people this morning. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Next word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Claire, you can throw that one up there if you haven't already. So this is what Jesus gave to us as some of his last words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's something that, again, we've heard so many times, and we can speak of it very easily, And we can speak of it without letting it truly impact us. But unfortunately, it seems that Satan knows it better than we do. And he has always tried to undermine and sabotage this command that comes from Jesus. He doesn't deny its validity. He doesn't refute its power. He cannot break its value. Instead, He tries to distort and misrepresent it. And he seeks to work in and through us to do that, to distort and misrepresent the gospel of Jesus. Kind of what I was talking about with Judas last week. He substitutes the good for the best. He causes us to stop and substitute things like being a follower for being a fan of Jesus. Even substituting religious practices such as attending, singing, praying, instead of, therefore, go. And I'm not wanting to discredit any of those practices, attending, singing, praying. Those are all fantastic. But if those are all that we do, that which we are made to be, that which we are called is not being fulfilled. That's not what the Great Commission is asking us to do. Those things are not the main act. They're just the supportive 
players. It's easy to believe that attending, that seeing, that giving, that praying absolves us from the need to go. That if we do those things, then it's not my responsibility to do the others. But through that, what we are growing is spiritually unhealthy. We're well fed, but we're not using that energy to put legs to the mission of Christ. We're just consuming and not using it. So another one of my favorite books growing up was C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Has anybody read it? Susan? So if those are not familiar, uh, the book is a series of letters back and forth from Screwtape, who is a devil high up in the infernal civil service. It's kind of a a play on words there. Um, To his nephew, Wormwood, um, who's a junior colleague, um, and he's engaged in his first mission down on earth. And what they're trying to do is to secure the damnation of a young man who had just become a Christian. So it's kind of a a funny comedy um, of them going back and forth. Um, And all it really is is a, a depiction of what this substituting can look like. Substituting the good for the best. And some of my favorite quotes um, come from this book, and I'm going to share a couple of them up on the screen. Uh, the first one, a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and it's more amusing. And again, these, these are kind of talking about the newly Christian and coming from the perspective of um, Screwtape and Wormwood. Uh, the second one. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope. It's soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Again, it's not like it's a dramatic turn. It's let's shift slowly, make it comfortable. Then the third one. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds, where in reality... Our best work is done by keeping things out. Again, this is, it's all a part of that interesting substituting. The, the good for the best. The best for the good. Satan is willing for us to be busy about a whole stack of good things so long as we will only forget the best in the process. And the best is that great commission. It is telling others about Jesus. Satan wants us to reduce the requirements of the Great Commission. Again, if we look at those verses in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we will see that there are four requirements to the Great Commission that is being given by Jesus. The first one, going. So going. First one, therefore go. First requirement. The second one is discipling. Make disciples of all nations. The third one, baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the last requirement is teaching. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded for you. Now the thing here is when we emphasize one aspect over and above the others, 
we can lose sight of what the commission is calling to us. We might say, well, New City Covenant Church is all about connection. But if that's all that we emphasize, if that's all that we concentrate on, and we don't look at the other aspects of the Great Commission or vice versa, then we are underselling the importance of what Jesus has given to us. So let's see if we can get a little bit more participation this time around. So Sunday morning grammar lesson. Welcome back to school. So out of going, discipling, baptizing, and teaching, what is the main verb out of those four? Going, discipling, baptizing, teaching. Anybody want to have an attempt? It's okay if you get it wrong. Sorry? Going? Going? Okay, anybody else want to have an attempt? Math teacher? Teaching? Okay, anybody else? Got a couple different answers? No? It's make disciples. That's the main verb. Make disciples is the important action in all of that. All the others are subordinate to that. As you go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. You can't do the others without making disciples. The main action is to make disciples. Others who are followers of Jesus Christ, not just fans, but followers. Again, that idea from last week. Who are teaching them just as you have been taught, just as you are seeking to live, to follow after and be surrendered to your Lord and Savior. But hear this. It's a package deal, right? Jesus has given us a balanced and all-encompassing approach to how we live for Him. And we shouldn't be the ones who seek to separate them out and focus on one or focus on two. As you go, so one, we need to be focused on going. We need to make disciples. We need to be encouraging, encouraging them to be fully surrendered and to be bearing evidence of baptism. We need to teach them so that they would grow in the aspects of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. It's a package deal. We need to make sure that we're not reducing the requirements and not limiting the scope of the Great Commission. So what does Jesus intend in all of this for us? So one of the points I wanted to talk about this morning. It's easy to neglect our local community for the wider world, but it's also easy to neglect the wider world for our community. It's a kind of catch-22 there. Sometimes we can think that only some are worthy because that's all that we approach. Jesus intends that all would hear the message of hope, of love, and of deliverance. Go into all the world. Go into all the nations. Whether it's here, outside of these doors, is going into all the world. Going out into the Twin Cities is going out into all the world. Going further abroad and supporting um, kind of what we do with the missions or with um, the 6K runs and, and what we do. Again, that's going out into all the world. Second one, it's easy to emphasize the way that we walk as the most accurate form of witnessing and to neglect what you say or how you speak. 
Witnessing is done in two ways. Through your life and through your lips. So two things, the way you live and the way that you speak. If you've ever heard that idea of, oh, they'll know because of the way that I live. Wrong. No, it's not like that. If, if how, you live your life is, how you live your life is just the invitation for them to ask you why you are doing the things that you're doing. Why do you spend your time on Sundays here with us? Why do you give up part of your life in the manner of which you do? Why do you support these initiatives? Why do you speak in the manner that you do? Because then you're able to share Jesus with the words that God gives you. They're connected. You can't do one without the other. The person who says that I don't talk to people about Jesus, I just witness with my life, that person is already deceived. And as Screwtape would say, Wormwood, you've got them right where you want them. That's exactly what that whole book is about. Number three, it's easy to think that the task of evangelism belongs to the professionals. We can professionalize the Great Commission. The professionals, the gifted evangelists, the teachers, the pastors, they're the ones that we pay to do it, don't we? To do all this work on our behalf. We attend, we tithe, we volunteer, but it's their job to grow the church. They lead the people, they counsel those who are struggling, they do the weddings and the funerals and everything else in between. That's professionalizing the Great Commission. God has called us all to be a part of that. We can so easily be sold this lie and get comfortable. We can so easily walk out of here on a Sunday and think that we've enjoyed a great morning. And a lot of times we have. Um, but we've caught up with one another. We've encouraged one another. But again, if that's the Christian life, then if that's the full extent of who we are meant to be, that can be a sad representation of what God has called us to be all about. Jesus tells us in Acts 1 verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. This is who we are, his witnesses. So a witness is someone who shares a personal experience. Now, you know that Jesus doesn't expect us to be his salesperson or his barrister. He doesn't need a defense, and we don't need to argue people into heaven. That's not what he's asking us. We're just witnesses. A witness is somebody who tells what they've seen and what they've experienced in their life. Like the blind man that was healed. When he was asked the questions afterwards, what happened? Who did this to you? Who healed you? He says, I can't tell you who. I can just tell you what happened. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And you know what? It's that simple. That's all that God asks of us, to be those witnesses, to bear witness. You don't have to answer every question, let alone even know the answers to the questions. All Jesus asks is that we bear witness. Once I was like this, now I'm like this. And we give praise and glory to God. No one is a better witness on what God has done in your life than you are. So be prepared to share it. 
Be prepared to stand up for it. Be prepared to hold it up before others. So again, I'm going to try something a little bit different. See how we go. It might be a little bit challenging. So I became a believer in Jesus as a 12-year-old at a church camp. Um, I am the son of a pastor. And going to church was part of my life. Youth groups, small groups, parents connect groups in the house multiple nights a week, conferences, retreats, camps. I went to a Christian school from kindergarten to 12th grade. Church was all in my life. But it wasn't until I turned 12 and my life, my experiences, my beliefs were challenged by one of my brothers um, that attending any of these aspects um, was my honest decision. It was at that point in my life when I asked my dad to baptize me, if you want to show that picture. And again, this is, many people might not recognize me, uh, but that's me. Uh, I used to have a lot more hair. Um, but it wasn't until this point in my life um, that I asked my dad, and that's my dad, um, to baptize me. And it was the start of my own personal journey. It was my decision it wasn't my family's going to church. It was my decision. And I wonder, again, how it all happened for you. So I'm going to ask if there's anybody who would like to even volunteer by saying something short, putting people on the spot. When did you become a believer in Jesus? When, where, how, it doesn't really matter. But would anybody like to share anything? Again, even if it's just a year. Or, or anything. Yes. So first year at New City here. Yeah. Anybody else? Yep. Yeah. So when they were 13 and got baptized. Anybody else? First year of college, yeah. For a lot of people, that's a, again, that's another step where you start to think about your own decisions in life and, and what things really mean to you. Anybody else? Great. And I think for most, coming to that realization and that decision isn't just a, a line in the sand. It's a process, Right? For most, there isn't that instantaneous moment in life. It's a transitional journey where God is leading you to a point, and then it makes sense. This is something I want to do for my relationship. For most, again, it's a simple story of looking at your life, looking back, and knowing that God intervened. There was a point. There are all these things that were kind of pointing me in the direction, but it took up to this decision for that to happen. And again, why wouldn't we want to talk about that if it's so meaningful to us? Why wouldn't we want to share that excitement um, and let others share in that joy in our lives? Because again, those moments can never be taken away from us. And if somebody says, I don't want to know about your God, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God, and that's fine. That's their decision. They're not rejecting you. They cannot disqualify you for the story that God has given to you. That's your life. 
So I want to challenge you all this week that as God lays it on your heart, simply share with somebody about your story. Take a moment, and it might only take a moment just like this. Take a moment and say, let me tell you about how I came to faith in Jesus. Again, this is a challenging thing, especially in our world. And you don't need to be an expert in the Bible to be a witness. You don't need to have a neat answer for every question that gets asked. There is no predefined period of time for a believer before they start becoming a witness. So I'm going to share something. I haven't run this by Meg, so I'm just going to do it. I'll get in trouble later. Um, So when Meg and I started dating in New York, um, I explained to her about my faith and how that was the most important thing in my life, and I wanted her to be a part of that. And Meg has her own story, so I'm only going to show and speak about my aspect of that. But I remember sitting in a church service with her. Um, The pastor was up front speaking. And Meg and I would be sitting there writing. She would be asking me, writing question after question after question on the, on the church bulletin, um, on little pieces of paper. And I actually have a couple of them. Um, so I kept them, funnily enough. Um, and it's interesting to kind of look back and read over su- through some of these. And this went on for weeks and months, I remember. Um, and, and I wanted to read one because I thought it was really kind of poignant to to understand kind of where we were as well as kind of where we are now. So it says, everyone in this room may believe in God, but are they out there doing all good all the time? And I'm like, that's, that's such a difficult question to answer, right? And again, for even for us, it's like, we're not that way either. They're, obviously, we, we step out of the doors of the church and obviously life is life. Um, but and I think that's the challenge of the Great Commission is to is to understand that and still yet bring that with you and not just leave it all in here in behind. Um, and we honestly we probably went through hundreds of these little pieces of paper. Um, again, I didn't know any, a lot of the questions or the answers to those questions, and I'm, I know she can attest to that. But what I did have was my own faith that I was sure of, and I knew that one day God would continue to use me in her life, and that was what I had faith in. Whenever we had those conversations, and Meg's like, why do you continue to, why do you continue to, like, help me through this? And I'm like, well, because I know, I know my own faith, and I know what it can do in your life. And again, it's just being patient with people, and again, it might not always happen straight away, but again, look where we are now, and it's, that's almost kind of like 15 years ago. It's the people not like us that make us grow. The trouble with Google filters, Facebook friends, reading the news by narrowcasting versus broadcasting, this means that we're surrounded almost entirely like people like us. Uh, and again, it's, that's why it's so easy to, to kind of have the stories like we have in the news because, again, the people get together based on their own beliefs and whatnot. People whose views, whose opinions, whose prejudices are just like their own. We can become so inward-looking as individuals and as a community 
That is the reason why it's so important to share these moments with others, to share your story, share a story of difference, of love, of hope, of deliverance. It's the people like us that are just people like us. The people, sorry, the people not like us are just people like us. And every time we hold out the hand of friendship, of love, of hope, of care to somebody not like us, whose class or creed or color or background are different from ours, we are reaching with the love and hope and care of the one who first loved us. Whether it was a late night conversation with my brother that when I was 12 or not listening to the pastor's sermons and writing notes with Meg, those moments were when my faith truly came out in my life to bear witness. Once I was blind, but now I can see. And there was a moment when the blind beggar was asked question after question after question by the teachers and the Pharisees, and all he could answer was his own experience. All he did was bear witness. All he said was, this is what God has done in my life, and I'm sharing it with you. We have been given a life-saving message, and it is the greatest news in the world. And what's more, without fully realizing, people are desperate to hear about it. And some might not know, but they are People are desperate to hear that there is something after this life. There is hope and that there is someone that loves them. Acts 20 verse 24. The Apostle Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This series has meant to be a celebration of what is special in identifying New City Covenant Church. But the flip side of this is that in seeing these as values, intimacy with God, authentic relationships, transformed lives, God's unique design, sacrificial living and service, community impact, If we see these values, shouldn't we also be surrendering our lives to them as well? After all, these are who we are. And if this is who we are, then let's put down a marker in our history that keeps driving us forward, keeps offering up the better things as we celebrate and as we live it. Let's pray. Father, we've taken a moment this morning to just reflect on your goodness in our life, taking a moment to remind ourselves that you brought life change, and we are who we are in this place because of you, because of Jesus. So, Father, may we not just sit comfortably in our own surroundings looking inwards, but alert us to our story, alert us to your story, that we might put our story and your story together to be able to share it with others. We thank you for this community. 
And we pray that you would shine your light from each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.